Hello and welcome to an episode of Woke Finance, the podcast talking about everything finance and finance related. This is your boy Peter and... It's myself, Jack Sopoku. Awesome, awesome. And Jax, it's 2020. Absolutely. Whole new year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you and all to all of our listeners as well. How are you, Jax? I'm very well. Very optimistic. Very excited for 2020. Yeah, I Fant- can't wait to get started. Fantastic. We'll definitely talk a bit more about what that actually looks like in yeah. regards to, I guess, sort of personal finance, some of your goals as well yeah. uh, that you've got uh, planned for 2020 as well. Absolutely. Um, before we get kicked in just so for any new listeners out there as well so we just let let them know who you are yeah so my name is jacks i am you know you can call my you can call me a personal finance enthusiast um my day job i work as an investment manager but aside from that i have a, um, a side business where i provide financial education and investment guidance um and we also run walk finance together myself and peter which is an organization um dedicated to mentoring young people and teaching them the same same things that we know now that we wish we knew when we were younger so yeah that's in short that's that's what we do and that's who i am fantastic thank you Jax and I'm Peter co-founded uh, Woke Finance with uh, Jax and I guess one of the reasons why we set this up is you know when we think about our upbringing where we grew up um, yeah. in ends so to speak yeah. um, or the hood or however you want to uh, describe it um, there was obviously a gap there in terms of um, our knowledge and what we was exposed to when yeah. it came to making decisions about um, personal finance in general Yeah. Um, about f- you know today but also the next generation as well and one of my uh, passions um particularly within my day job and some of my side hustles i've got involved in has revolved around working with um youth all over the country particularly youth from um so-called disadvantaged backgrounds um and i guess woke finance is there to support our youth to i guess make better decisions yeah. um about um, when it comes to personal finance. And we're going to talk a bit more about that. But yeah, g- getting back to 2020, it's a new <laughs> decade, not just a new year, Jax. Yeah. And it'll be good to hear from you what are some of your goals. It doesn't have to be uh, finance related, yeah. um, but just in general, man. What's what's 2020 holding <laughs> for you? Huh? Well, I've kind of split my um, my ambitions for 2020 into five um, as an individual. And I've split it, you know, um, in categories starting from you know my health, I think health mm. is a very important thing. Um, of course, personal finance and my career, that kind of stuff, um, as well as my spirituality. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian by mm. faith. I'm a man of faith, so finding ways to improve that. So yeah, I've I have split it, um, and I'm, we probably don't want to go into too much detail for now. Um, but you know, if we want to talk more about my personal finance one, um, one of my key my key aims for 2020 and moving forward is generating multiple streams of income. Mm. Um, I think this is one of the most important things for everybody to be focusing on um, as time goes on, being able to use the advancement in technology to actually generate passive income and to scale businesses. So that's that's my main aim for 2020 and moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting that you spoke about sort of, I guess, diverse in the way you get income yeah. and you know diversifying your sources of income yeah. um, and particularly in today's world that we're in uh, yeah. this technology world that we're moving in soon we'll be having flying cars and all sorts as well there's so many ways to um, generate that uh, source of income yeah. as well and I guess it'll be great probably in future podcasts to when we I'm going to ask in a bit what yeah. are some of those uh, streams of income but yeah. maybe spend uh, even a whole podcast even just talking about what are those uh, streams of income 
income as Absolutely. well. That would yeah. be great. But when you talk about the different uh, streams, can you give an example? Um, so you know, of course, you have a nine. To, I have a nine to five. Mm. Um, but apart from that, um, I've got a side business which I had already started prior to twenty twenty. Um, but moving forward as well, you know, there's different ways of generating passive income. One way to do it is to actually, you know, use your time and energy to, you know, create something that people can, you know, consume and then you get paid for that. That's one way. The other way is to use your own income to make more income. So mm. I'll use, I'll talk more about the latter because it's very exciting. Mm. And I'm talking about investing. So for example, something I want to focus on um, in 2020 and moving forward is investing in things like dividend stocks or mm. real estate investment trusts. Mm. Now our listeners might not know what those things are. Of course, we will go into that in much more detail, but um, that is something I really want to build up over time using my money that I generate from business and from my nine to five to mm. generate extra money through you know dividends and stuff like that. So Absolutely. that's an example of extra or additional income, basically. Fantastic. So it goes way beyond sort of just your nine to five. Absolutely. There's yeah. so much more, and you know I think a large part about this is this is you know this even whatever you want to call it, whether it's a movement or a menta- mentality or different way of thinking when it comes to our future. It's not about just trying to make money or mm. so-called get rich and oh, i say that with yeah. quotation um marks as well but um you know we got to start with the why so my question is you talk about these different sources of income which sounds fantastic and it sounds like you know once you are consistent and continue um actually trying to get those different sources mm. over time that will definitely build and build yeah. my question is to you why though why doing all of this what is it why do you want to do all of this? Oh my gosh, we can spend about five hours talking about that. Yeah. Why, you know, why, why I want to generate passive income or why I want to generate you know, multiple streams of income. Mm. Um, but the first one is all to do with dependency. Um, I don't want to be just dependent on my, on my nine to five. I think a lot of things have changed over the years um, in terms of how the, the labor market actually you know, functions. I'll give you a very quick example. The way pensions used to be paid historically mm-hmm. were something called defined benefit, where essentially the company that you work for for a certain amount of time just look after you until the day that you die. Um, but now it's changed, where <laughs> a lot of companies are doing what we call defined contribution, where you contribute, and of course they contribute too, but it's much cheaper for them compared to before. And so it's more risky, mm-hmm. right? Um, and a lot of people actually, if you look at the statistics and if you look at what's happening around, especially our community, a lot of people, especially of, like I say, my dad's um, generation are struggling to actually retire um, because they've not saved, they've not invested um, and are not generating passive income or, or other streams of income. So that alone is, is, is enough for mm. somebody to say, you know what, I can't rely on just my nine to five um, and I should, you know, think of other ways to generate income so that I can retire comfortably so mm. at some stage of my life. That's just one example. But for me, it's a lot of to do. A lot of it is actually to do with freedom. I think I'm all about purpose, and I'm all about, you know, living and doing things on purpose, intentionally, and, you know, really adding value to the world um, as an individual. And I can't do that if I'm spending eight, nine hours every single day as an employee. Um, working in a job that I do like, I do love the investment management world, and it has helped me, you know, you know, achieve certain things. But if I really want to add value to the world, I need time for myself, mm. and I need time to be able to do that. And I can only achieve that if I am financially free. So the earlier I can do that, the better, mm. right? And the way to do that is to find smart, intelligent ways to generate that passive income. 
whether it's through side businesses as mm. well as my nine to five, yeah, um, or you know, investing in maybe real estate or mm. stocks and that kind of stuff. Whatever I can do to generate additional sources of income will really help me to become financially free early, mm. so that I can really focus on, you know, really adding value to to the world and to myself. Absolutely, and you talk about some of those uh, side hustles, and you also spoke about um, sort of our parents' generation and some of the environments that some of our listeners might be able to relate to in terms of how we've grown up. And I'll let Artsy in a bit in terms of when we think about where we grew up, our area, our ends, our hood, or whatever yeah. um, we want to call it. I'm, de- I'm going to ask you a question around, you know, what our ends didn't teach us about yeah. when it came to finance in general. But yeah, yeah so it'll be definitely um, good to hear your thoughts on that. But I guess my question before I ask that is, you speak about these different sort of streams of income. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, you know, some of us that have gone through the traditional education system whether that's school college gone into work or gone in university and work after mm. a lot of that ends up in going into nine to five for those that are currently their main their only source of income is a nine to five now and they're thinking about potentially doing other things but you know it could be scary it's, yes you, you'll be thinking about all sorts of different uh risks um what advice would you give to someone that sort of came up to you and says you know what jack's I've been working at so-and-so for nine to five for the past five years. Um, I really want to do something something in addition to that. What mm-hmm. advice would you give to them? Well, first and foremost, it, it begins with, uh, in my opinion, it begins with money management as an individual. Mm. Because to start a successful side business, a l- not all the time, but some of the time, it does require time and money. Um, if you want to create a good business, you have to invest in that business. If you want to use, um, you know, income to generate additional income you need to be saving at least some of the income generated from your primary source of income which is usually your nine to five so for me start off with actually you know analyzing how you budget and how you actually manage your finances at the end of the month when you are paid um you know do you have excess do you have something in you know available to be deployed either as as an investment or well as an investment to stocks or whatever into your own business Mm. So I think that's the f- first thing to actually do, to start off with that. Um, and then to look at something that you're passionate about as well. Um, that's what, now I must say, it's not always advisable to generate passive income initially from something you're passionate about. And I'm gonna elaborate on that a bit later, but it is a great way to actually generate passive income. And I'll give you an example. Someone who starts a blog, blogs mm. are you know easy to start, they're quite cheap, sometimes free. If you want it to be really good, you probably have to pay some for some apps and that kind of stuff. Um, but if you are consistently, you know, talking about something that you're passionate about, that people like to consume, whether it's for entertainment purposes, or whether it's for knowledge and information, then you, you can actually, for you, it's easy to do because you're doing something you're passionate about. Mm. But you, you can also monetize that and actually generate a second source of income from that. Um, but why, why, the example that I used, or what I said earlier when I said, um, you don't always have to do something you're passionate about. Some people have made a lot of money doing things that they're not exactly passionate about, but they've seen that there's a market available for that, that mm. kind of, um, you know, product or service. And essentially that comes with market research or that comes with being aware. You know, I remember when I read um, Napoleon Hill's, you know, what's the book called again? Something to do with uh, Think and Grow Rich. That's yeah. it. And Napoleon about Hill. Napoleon Hill, yeah. yeah. Just being, uh, you know, aware and seeing opportunities, you know. And that comes with just be paying attention mm. and being intentional. Um, and seeing, oh, wait a, minute, wait a minute, people want to learn about how to invest in stocks and shares. So this is my example. 
um, as an individual, I'm passionate about personal finance. I have the already got, already got the knowledge from working within the investment management world. Mm. Um, and in fact, I've seen that a lot of people are demanding knowledge for investing in stocks and shares, especially people from our community. So for me, it's almost a triple win, right? Um, and it's easy for me to you know sit down for hours or write about about the investment world. Mm. Um, but f- you know, it doesn't have to be something you're extremely passionate about. But someone else can easily do exactly what I'm what I'm doing if they are willing to learn and actually provide value through information. Okay, so that's that's another example. Um, another, um, I think, word of advice I would give is to find a mentor. Mm. I think mentors are very underrated. And in fact, in my experience, it's something I, I didn't have growing up. And this is why, you know, why we're also doing work finance, you know, so mm. we can provide mentorship for young people. So I know, I know your question was talking about people that have a nine to five, but if you go back to, you know, um, people from the ages of 13, 14, which is where a lot of the habits are actually formed from, mm. um, they can start with these things much earlier if they have a mentor or group of mentors who are willing and able to guide them through through your process. So yeah, I hope that answers your question, yeah? Thank you very much for that, Jax. Uh, really helpful as well. Um, and definitely goes into um, more about what we are planning to sort of get into onto this on this yep. uh, podcast. Um, and you mentioned around sort of mentors as well. I guess for me, I think mentors are really important. I mm. think having a mentor, you know, if you think of someone who's trying to get from A to B, that person is going to get there, hopefully with dedication and consistency. Um, but a mentor would help uh, using their own experiences will help that person get from A to B a bit quicker and yeah, a bit more yeah. smarter. Yeah. Um, and I think it's uh, so important. And, you know, mentors can come in all shapes and sizes, um, even right. in the forms of books. Yep. Um, I've read a number of books that have been very helpful for me yeah. just for 15 pounds um, <laughs> over that, Amazon, even less, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, Think and Go Rich by Napoleon Hill, I think. Um, is there any other books that you have sort of read that's helped you on your sort of journey? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so, yeah, I echo what you mean when you say reading books. Mm. And in fact, before I even answer your question, I probably want to just give some value out there. Growing up in the community that I grew up in or the kind of culture that I grew up in, reading was something that we just didn't do, right? The only time we ever read a book was uh, maybe, you know, for for um, revision purposes, <laughs> for mm. exams. I never really read a book uh, for um, entertainment or mm. just for, for, you know, knowledge. Um, so it was difficult for me when I actually came to a, a place in life where I decided, you know, I need to be reading more books. And now I read at least one book a month. Mm. So just to answer your question, um, on a on a personal finance category, I think one of the f- my favorite books um, that I read when I was really young was um, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm. For a minute, I forgot that. The <laughs> Rich Dad book. Poor Dad, yeah. So Rich Dad Poor Dad is one of those books that um, really, really does help change your mentality, written by Robert Kiyosaki. And I think, I, I would say this, that I think you need to read that book with some sort of maturity. And um, it does say some stuff that, you know, um, really, really does change your mindset. It makes you realize things that are kind of obvious, but you kind of don't realize. For example, certain things that we didn't learn in schools. Um, when you realize, wait a minute, I didn't learn about investing in schools. I didn't learn how to manage my finances, do my taxes or, or that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that book is really good for changing your mentality. But if you want to, you know, actually learn how to do things when it comes to the actual information, 
I think one of the books that I read on, let's say, in investing was, uh, was you know, The Intelligent Investor. Now, that book is is written by Benjamin Graham, um, who is Warren Buffett's uh, mentor. Let's talk about mentors. Um, but I would say that book is quite technical. So I wouldn't start off with that book. But it is a great book if you want to actually really get into active investing. Um, the type of investing is called value investing. Also has a lot of pages. It has a lot of pages, <laughs> a lot of commentary. Um, up to now, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I've read every single word on that book. But it is, it is a great book um, for value investors. But I wouldn't recommend it as a first book. Mm. If you want to get into personal finance, if you want to change your mindset and really understand the small changes in life that you can really make to actually, you know, fast forward your personal finance life, I would recommend um, Rich Dad Poor Dad and The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm. And The Richest Man in Babylon was the second book I read and is probably the most, you know, how do I describe this? It's the most, it tells you exactly what you need to do, mm. essentially, in personal finance, where it's the minimum. For example, it talks about, you know, at least saving at least 10% of your, of your you know, your income. And there's a, there's a part where he talks about, you know, um, start thy fattening of purse the, the book is written very funny it's written in kind of like you know historical word, word. kjv K- yeah 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 that's the kjv king james version um but i love it i love that stuff but yeah it's one of my favorite books mm. the richest man in babylon and the richest and rich dad poor dad those two books mm. um are my first personal final books books that i read yeah um so yeah. um richest man in babylon the Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, otherwise yeah. known as Sasam, the Godfather of Investing, yeah. and Rich Dad Poor Dad. You mentioned ideally you'd want to assess one's level of maturity before they read that. So yeah, when yeah. you say that, so let's say I wanted to give that book to um, a family member who's maybe 15, 16, should it be they have a read of that book and I discuss it with them rather yeah, than just sort of yeah. leaving them alone with it, yeah. is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I, and I'll tell you why, why I say that. So, you know, when you re- read Rich Dad Poor Dad, it almost makes you never want to go to school. Mm, you, know, okay. you know, it makes you kind of question school, the school system. But my opinion is that school has been great for teaching us certain things. If it wasn't for school, I wouldn't, you know, have the knowledge that I have now. Mm. You know, education is important. Um, but I think when I say, you know, have, have some sort of maturity or assess the level of maturity first, I think what you've just described as, you know, also mentoring someone who is at the age of 16, mm. not just giving them the book and say, look, read this and that's it. I think mentoring them and saying, you know, what he's, what, what Baker Saki is saying is extremely good, mm. um, but you need to find what works for you as an individual as well so that's what exactly what i mean by assessing your maturity mm. if i read that book when i was 14 or 15 i might have just said forget it <laughs> forget, <laughs> forget school, it yeah. i wouldn't have gone to university and got yeah. myself a degree in economics i wouldn't have got a master's in financial economics um but you know up to now i still i'm glad that i did mm. those things um so yeah fantastic and i guess the reason why you're speaking a bit more about um purpose of reading and it's a perfect segue into the whole topic of this particular podcast which is you know what the hood didn't teach us about finance um and for listeners um out there um, myself and jacks are from uh london yeah um more in particular east london yeah um don't need to go into too much detail about (laughs) the actual area but it was your sort of typical inner city um borough with um a lot of negativity yes that we were exposed to in the form of what you may see um on the news with young people um and of all ages whether it's knife crime gang yeah. crime 
um, and just sort of your typical sort of negative stereotypes that people may have about a particular um, inner city uh, boa as well. Um, so I guess, you know, when, where we sort of grew up, which for this purpose of the podcast, we are going to call the hood. Yeah. Um, I guess my question to you, Jax, is, you know, what didn't the the ends or our areas teach us? And um, when I say that I include society, that 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 includes our parents. And from from our experience of speaking with our peers, we find that these are typical similar trends that we've seen as well. So it's not just sort of maybe our parents or our uncles, aunties, but just generally our communities that we grew up in. Um, and that includes our schools as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And just generally, what do you feel the hood didn't teach us about finance, which when we look, when we look um, at on. the current situation, yeah. the hood will benefit from knowing now. <laughs> well, Reading was one thing, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, oh, I can talk about many things. Um, and I can probably start off answering that question by flipping it and and talking about what the hood did teach me mm. um, that were probably some misconceptions and that kind of stuff. And I think the first one is to do with a psychological, behavioral type of way towards finance, and it's it's more to do with things such as instant gratification. I believe that's what it's called. Mm. Um, essentially, whenever you make money, um, spend it to make yourself feel good, and. I think this is probably the biggest thing um, because essentially as you, you know, become more financially aware, you realize that, you know, in order to, in order to be financially free and financially de- independent, um, you need to have money saved um, and invested in order to generate some, uh, again, passive income. But I would say, yes, absolutely. Um, instant gratification, as soon as you get some money, you want to, you know, spend it um, and just spend it on something that's going to make you look good. Mm. Um, you know there's another phrase that you probably know it's called a keeping up with the Joneses basically as soon as you get money you buy clothes to to look good to impress those people that probably don't even care about you in the first place and I think that's something that everybody done in the ends mm. in, in the hood per se um, and the second one is all about making money mm. um, personal finance is not just about making money it's about saving it's about investing it's about the you know the psychological impacts you, you, you it's like more like you know the the thought process that goes into it and i think what was really terrible <laughs> was the hood only told me that we should be making money and if we're not making money then it doesn't make sense mm. basically <laughs> um, and so <laughs> if it doesn't do, make money it doesn't make exactly sense. exactly so everything that we do all our concerns was all about you no know, how can i make more money how can i make more money how can i make more money and you know the best ways to make money unfortunately in the hood when we looked around at the people that were actually looking as as if they are rich they were what the good ones were probably people we saw on tv so famous people so entertainers footballers and that kind of stuff but in the flip side is we looked around and people that were engaged in criminal activities looked as if those are ones that were you know becoming wealthy and becoming rich which is very tough because then when we go back home to our parents they're telling us to stay in school and um, focus on, on education. So it brought about a lot of confusion. And it's the, almost like, you know, where do I go? Do I become a footballer? Which are obviously every 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 guy needs to become a footballer. footballer. I also yeah. think I could have made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, You're not you know, too bad still, Jack. <laughs> You're not too bad. You know, everyone wants to be a footballer, but then there's a difficulty and it's a conflict of interest. Because now that I've learned more about football, for example, I've learned to become a good footballer, to make it in football, you need your parents' support. 
your parents should be coming to watch your matches for example but unfortunately some of our parents are working nights yeah, so it's really difficult to become a footballer mm. but unfortunately being from the end being from the hood that's all we see um, so I think there's that stat when it comes to football. I think only 6% that come out from academies or something like that really, actually make yeah. it into professional yeah. um, I've never football. seen that stat, yeah. but it, this is exactly what I mean. So, you know, growing up is really tough. It's almost like, you know, I want to be rich. I want to, you know, make money. I want to be financially free. But I'm looking at the TV and I, the only people I can see that look like me, speak like me, that are doing well for themselves are famous and they are footballers they are entertainers they are you know people that make music mm. um but it is extremely difficult to actually make in these industries and it's not foolproof right and in fact a lot of the time that some of these people that do become famous and do become really rich later on we read about their stories and we realize that they're bankrupt or or they've you know they've misused their money and you know they're struggling financially um but we didn't know that back in the ends or when we were younger so that's that's the first one and, and it's confusing because you know my parents told me to just stay in school mm. and you know focus on my education i'm happy i did i think it was good advice i don't think it was the best advice um it's just a bit like when my mom tells me you know jacks when you start working save you know so you should save 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 and again it's good advice because saving is good yeah. but she didn't tell me to invest yeah and save for what well exactly that's what she just, <laughs> and this is the thing you know they think and to be fair on parents and the generation above us, historically, when we look at how finance used to work, you know, interest rates and that kind of stuff, mm. saving to some extent made sense because you were paid an interest on your savings. Whereas now, especially today, you know, interest rates are, are minimal. In fact, they are below inflation. Yeah. Well, you'd be lucky to get anything over 1% or yeah, yeah, yeah. I think over 2%. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. saw some of my savings in, in the bank the other day for my um, my emergency fund mm. and it got like a 0.5% interest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, my as you mentioned, is below inflation, below which inflation. for listeners that don't really know what that actually means in, you yeah. know, so what if, if, yeah, mean, inflation, what mean? inflation basically is, um, it measures your cost of living. So prices of goods and services within the economy are always going up. So inflation is that measure, you know, if inflation is 2%, it means mm. year on year, prices are rising by 2%. And what that means is if your interest that you're getting from your bank is below this 2%, your ability to actually purchase something um, is actually reduced. Yeah. So if you're getting only 1%, um, you know, on interest and inflation is 2%, mm. which is actually what we go for. Um, plus or minus one, then you're losing out by 1% mm. every single year if so you're not investing, basically. So if you've got £1,000 in a typical savings account in here in the UK mm -hmm. um, in one year's time, if inflation uh, does as it usually does over average at mm. 2%, mm. Um, that £1,000 in real term, what you're saying, yeah. would be worth less than exactly. £1,000. In, in real terms, exactly. Yep. I like the word real because in fact mm. in the financial world we use real to describe mm. adjusted for inflation um but yeah i think and you know another advice that they would have given me um you know and this is i'm actually talking about good advice mm. um to some extent anyways you know save and then obviously buy a house you know and kind of follow the scheme of you know buy a house get married and so on and so forth get a pension whatever but you know in today's economy for example house prices are extremely uh, extremely expensive they are mm. at the highest it has ever been and so is that really the best advice um you know the people that bought houses before the financial crisis and you know experienced uh, something really bad um 10 years ago 
you know, was that the best advice? You know, could they have redeployed, you know, their, their cash to something else that would have generated a better return? Could they have started a business with that? Could they have invested in other things? So, yeah, and when it comes to, you know, buying a house, are you buying a house as an investment or are you buying a house to go and live in it? If you're living in it, can you actually call that, you know, mm. an investment? In fact, Robert Kiyosaki, who did write Rich Dad Poor Dad, he says, you know, if you buy a house and you live in it, then you can't call that an investment because it's not putting money in your pocket. Mm. So these are the th little things that in ends in, in, in you know our community we you know we we were taught that you know some of them are not the worst advice it's not bad advice but they some of them are not the best advice in the sense that um, there are better advice advice advices advices there yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the word um, so yeah so that's Ooh. that's that's one thing um, but also um, I, I did want to add something as well in terms of just being in ends and you know um in the hood as we say and some of the things that we were not taught mm. obviously we we're not taught about investing in a stock market that's that's one thing that's not even taught to many people today around the world um it seems very alien for some people that's something that i obviously i've learned through my my career which i like to you know teach people we're also not taught about the negative impact of things like financial crime mm. um like money laundering we're not taught how to do our own taxes, you know, how taxes actually affect us, how we can, you know, pay less tax um, legally. Mm -hmm. um, so tax, you know, tax of, uh, it's called tax avoidance, not tax evasion. How to actually do that in a smart way by providing value so that you have to pay less tax. Just these little things um, and just general personal finance and how to become financially free so that we can live a life of purpose. Absolutely. Uh, you touched on some really good things there, Jack. Really appreciate it. Um, particularly around sort of the instant gratification. The reason why I mentioned that because of today's world that we live in, I think that's magnified even more so in this whole social media world we live in. Um, you mentioned, you know, when we, whether it's get a paycheck or we get a bit of money, we might see someone um, and we want to have what someone else has as well. And funny, I remember just back in the days when we were younger and we used to try and get money in many different ways. <laughs> One of the ways we used to do is uh, money up. Money up the wall. Throwing a pound coin up on yes, the wall. Yes. Um, and the closest gets the pot of money, we throw it up and yeah. heads or tails, we call it. And yeah, yeah. we pray yeah. that, well, we used to pray it lands on whatever we could. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember when, you know, we can we were just school children and we could end up with probably what 10 15 quid that day Goodness, I remember when 10 it, quid it would be ten, lucky if he was good five. Too, yeah five <laughs> some people just had nothing yeah, they even needed yeah. to borrow off um, some people I, I was usually a pe person giving people um in <laughs> loans. money yeah loans <laughs> um but the reason why I mentioned that because even then when we would just make a bit of change go straight to KFC just to spend it all on food. Yep, yep. mini variety meal. <laughs> Literally, mini variety meals, yeah. two wigs, strip or chicken or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that is that is crazy that you mentioned. Um, you know, when we think of today's world and when we think of instant gratification, it's massive and I think it affects all of us at some point and it's something yeah. that needs to be suppressed. Yeah. Um, on some occasions, it depends. Some people don't mind doing it. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's something that needs to be checked yeah. if you're trying to get on a journey around, you know, um, being financially free one day. Yeah. Um, what would your advice be, you know, for, I mentioned the whole social media. It's not just social media, it's peer yeah. pressure, it's all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. It also yeah. depends on your age and your the group you have around you mm -hmm. as well. And um, what would you, sort of your advice be around that? Um, so my first advice when it comes to instant gratification is to understand how dangerous it can be mm. um and you know 
everything comes starts with education and awareness you know understanding exactly where you stand and understanding that this is a problem for you mm. as an individual um so and it, i talk about inst- instant gratification as not a problem just to do with finance it's to do with a lot of things and, and i've suffered from it or everyone's suffered from it but for example when it comes to health you know that's probably one of the biggest ones you know mm. you know eating above chocolate or, or some sort of <laughs> junk food just so you feel good for that moment but then in the, in the long run you feel horrible you mm. know? so yeah really understanding the, your end goal so i think that's where you have to start from so you have to be intentional with your goals and say well okay i am trying to save let's say i don't know uh 20 of my salary mm-hmm. every single month um, the first thing you need to do and you read in any personal finance book should be to pay yourself first. If you are paying yourself first, you can't use that 20% to go and buy something to instantly gratify yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's that's number one. Number one is actually understanding where you are and understanding what it is and knowing that it is a problem that exists. Number two is things like paying yourself first. And paying yourself first means putting money away towards savings that you might not touch, whether it's that's towards your emergency fund or whether that's towards investments and stocks and shares and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I, th- I think I, m- I must say something else before I forget. Um, and this is my answer for a lot of different things, especially for, for our generation and the young people. And, and it's probably evident in everyone is your friends, your network, the people mm. that you spend a lot of time with. If they are people that are also people that, you know, spend money on certain things, you are going to do that too <laughs> the peer pressure will kick in peer pressure mm. can be a good thing right absolutely um you could use it as all as almost a benchmark mm. to do certain things so you know when i when i speak to yourself and you tell me you've been able to make some investments and and, I'm, and i've sat there and i've just had you know i've just when i bought myself a gucci scarf mm. it makes me think twice about myself you know why did i buy that gucci scarf did i did i really really want it did I read? Why did I, what, what was my, you know, why do we do certain things? Mm. I think that's that's the real answer. Why do I why do I spend, you know, eighty percent of my salary or whatever on something that deep down I don't really really want? And I give an example. <laughs> <laughs> I give well, an deep example. down you don't really need. I think need is a better word. Yeah. Right? Need not want. Um, and I give an example of when you know historically I have bought certain things. I remember when I bought myself some Prada shoes years mm. ago, um, and I did that. Um, because I wanted it and so on and so forth. I didn't really need it, but I wanted it. But as I've grown older, I've become obviously more per- personally financially aware um, and of course I understand how to save and invest. There was a new fashion that came out very recently uh, where everybody, every Tom, Dick and Harry was going to buy Louboutins. Mm. Um, and I looked and I almost fell into that trap. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember, I'll be honest with you, the first time I ever saw I Louis Vuitton. you almost fell into the trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Um, the, fir- the first time I saw Lubes, uh, I saw it way before, way before it became very fashionable. Mm. And I've said to myself, these are ugly. Yeah. I said to myself, I, I, I don't like these shoes. Yeah. I don't understand why any shoes should, should have spikes on them. I mm. don't, it didn't make any sense <laughs> to me. Um, why anybody would see that as an attractive piece of um, yeah. shoe wear. But fast forward a few years and it became fashionable mm. and it became something that everybody was buying. Red bottoms, everyone was speaking about it in their songs. Um, you know, it's almost like if if you're if you didn't have red bottoms, then you wasn't rich, basically. Mm. Um and I remember slowly but surely I started to become attracted. Yeah. <laughs> I started to become attracted by force to, to these lubes. And and, and I said to him, and I was I was really thinking about going to buy some, they're really expensive. Mm. I don't think anyone that's not a hundred thousand there should be 
should be buying Louis Vuitton, in my opinion, mm. um, because they represent a high percentage of your salary mm. <laughs> if you're buying them. And I remember saying to myself, wait a minute, why am I becoming attracted to these shoes when historically I really, really thought they were rubbish? I didn't really like them. And I realized, wait a minute, it's to do with peer pressure. Mm. And not just peer pressure, it's to do with the influence of just people around you. Um, I'm realizing, wait a minute, I just want to fit in. Um, or not just fit in, sometimes it's to fit in, sometimes it's to look like you're rich. A lot of people try to look like they're doing well. Um, and I've, I've, I've suffered from that before. But I think we all have. Yeah, yeah. But I, I had to be true to myself. And that's yeah. the key. Be true to yourself and say, well, Jax, I don't really like these shoes in the first place, Jax. And this is me talking to myself. <laughs> Secondly, Jax, um, the price of these shoes represent a very high percentage of your salary. Mm. So this purchase you're about to do, is it justified? Does it actually make sense? And if you do buy it, for how long are you going to be excited for? Yeah, we call that you know in economics we call that your marginal utility. Are you really you know? Are you, am I gonna buy it and be over the moon for one day, two days, one year, two years, mm. five years, ten years? The truth is no. I'll be happy for the first week, mm. first two weeks, maybe the first six months, but in ten years time, am I gonna look back and think that was a good purchase? So it's always having that kind of the long term view on things, which we sh- a lot of people struggle with. Mm. But if you can't have a long term view on things, then it, your mindset can change. And if you are around people that influence you in a good way, because I know if I came up to you and mm. I was wearing lubes, um, you'd be like, "Oh, those are nice. How much was it?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, in the most sarcastic yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. In, 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 you're very sarcastic, <laughs> so I will have to scratch my head. Um, and then you probably might say something like, "Oh, so did you make any stock purchases yeah. or something?" Uh, you know, <laughs> as I leave, I leave on the market. And like that, yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's just one of those things where you just got to be aware. It's awareness, mm. and awareness of your behavioral ways when it comes to finances mm. um and asking yourself you know am i buying this be true to yourself am i buying this because you really want it or are you buying it just to impress people mm. that's 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 my simple um you know my simple piece well, of impress advice. people that deep down don't really care they don't really care and for it's the just, moment it looks nice when it, you know if someone says oh that yeah. looks good but deep yeah. down you know one's focused on their life as well um yeah. and i think the, the the thing that you said about spending a particular part of your salary on a large percentage of a salary on something that's not going to bring you any returns as well. It's going to mm. depreciate in value the minute you, you buy it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I, m- I must say though, um, I'll, go, I'll give an example of a time where I did fall into that, I'll call it a trap. Mm. Um, I think for my 25th birthday, mm. um, I really wanted to treat myself. And I remember at the time where, you know, I was making a decent amount of money from, mm. from my salary and I looked around and a lot of people, people around my age, um, had really nice cars. A lot of them were driving German whips, mm. if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, and I looked to myself and I was just driving the the, the Astra, mm. you know, the black one, you know, the, the black with the first ones. Um, and, and I just didn't feel comfortable. And, I, and I did, you know what? I hope everyone's listening to this because this is, this is really important. There's a very, very terrible cycle that begins, mm. right? And it makes it very tough to come up that cycle. When even so at that stage, at 25, I was quite aware financially right but when we live in a community where people don't give you the respect you deserve Mm. um because of for example the car that you're driving Mm. then unfortunately to even get people to take notice of you you have to do something like Mm. going to buy an all-white audi like i did (laughs) 
got your the German you know, whip. I got my German whip yeah. all right, and I spent and I paid cash. Yeah, cash, nearly fifteen grand mm. um, for for the car. Um, and it felt good. Mm-hmm. I was instantly gratified. I was, I was, <laughs> that was the definition you know, of instant yeah, gratification. You know, and, and, and I'll be honest with you as well. Um, like, I felt great. Mm. I felt I felt amazing when I when I drove out of the out of car giant. Um, but was it the greatest decision I've, I've ever made? Absolutely. When you look not. back on when it, when I look of, yeah. back on it now, no. But did it make me feel good? Yes. Yeah. I, I wouldn't lie. Mm. And this is where it's dangerous. I justified it. Mm. And I justified it by saying, well, Jax, you've done well in your life. You've mm. gone to school. You've done your degree. Mm. You've done your master's. You, you, you've got a, a nice job. Um, it's your 25th quarter century. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, why don't you just treat yourself? Uh, and I bought it. Um, do I regret it? Probably not. Mm. But did I learn a lesson from it? Yes. Great. Because uh, for nearly 15 grand, if I added another you know, 10, 10 grand to that, I could have bought myself a, an investment property up north. Mm. So it's just these lessons, you know, that you, you've got to learn. And it's, it's the cycle that the, communi- the community doesn't help with. If we lived in a community where everybody had the same mindset, um, where everybody was trying to, you know, invest in, uh, you know, let's say cash flow producing assets like property mm-hmm. um, and not buying liabilities like German cars, the BMWs and Audis and Mercedes, then if someone p- saw me pull up in my old Astra, they wouldn't disrespect me or mm. not disrespect. They wouldn't have less respect for me. Treat you differently. Because, yeah, or treat me yeah, differently yeah, yeah. because of the car that I'm driving. Mm. You know? So it, as a community, it is extremely difficult to change mm. this. Um, but if we can, um, that would be amazing. Yeah. But the best way to do that is to look at your circle first and say, you know what? Would my circle treat me differently mm. if you know I'm not spending half my salary on lubes yeah. or on, you know, these very high brand makes that really don't really, you don't really, really like it, but you're doing it because you mm. want to fit in or look like you're doing well. So, And I think a key thing you're mentioning is the percentage of your salary. There's nothing wrong with treating yourself. No, no, um, no, In no. fact, you should be, you know, when you, you, you mentioned your 25th, yeah. some would argue that's absolutely fine. You've worked hard, you've yeah. earned a certain amount, and you treat yourself, oh, and you've I, got I mean, that idea. And I think one thing that you said, which is really good, um, that you don't regret it, which is amazing. Yeah. I'll, I'll be, if I'd done the same thing, the same thing for me, but you learned from that because yeah. you yeah. think about you know, cost opportunity. What else could you have yeah, done? Opportunity cost, um, yeah, as yeah. I say, opportunity cost. About what else would you have done? Yeah. Uh, with that, um, and that's really a uh, really good. But you know, ultimately, it's about that that percentage. You know, think of a pie and the the, the percentage of yeah, that pie yeah, yeah. that you're using on this or using on that as well, because you should be, you know in small you should be saving up you yeah. should be giving you should be enjoying your money yeah. you know? and, and this is what i mean by, it's all about priorities absolutely isn't it? yeah actually setting your priorities straight mm. um and i say I, I don't truly regret what i did learn from it mm. um and what i would say i don't want anyone to think and i think this is where i help young people i don't want them to think that they should be extremely frugal mm. um I, I think it's important to just be true to yourself and say mm. you know what do I like? There's certain things, I'll be honest with you, I don't stunt on them. If I go to the, if I want to eat a good meal, yeah. you know, I don't care how much that meal costs, <laughs> I'm going to eat that meal. Yeah. Um, as long as it's coming from um, a bank account that I've mm. set up mm. to have fun with. So this is what I mean by money ma- money management. Mm. So I've got different types of accounts. I've got an account that I call my, my player account, mm. or my fun account, where 
when I do get paid on a monthly basis or whenever some income comes in, I allocate some of that income into this, um, you know, this account and it builds up. And let's say whenever I want to have some some fun, if I want to go on a holiday, a mm. random a short holiday, if I want to buy some luxury goods, uh, or if I want to just, you know, I don't know, just go out for a meal, that's where I take it from. Mm. And sometimes, you know, if I'm a very, if I'm very busy over past, let's say two months, that pot builds up. And then I go and look at it and I see, mm. well, maybe I've seen a thousand pounds. Oh my God, I have a thousand pounds to play with. Mm. Now, it is important not to use that thousand pounds to invest. Uh, you know, this is all part of psychology and money management. Have fun with that money so that you don't end up being bitter mm. uh, and just being someone who's too frugal or stingy, basically. <laughs> so yeah, make sure you, you do have this account that you actually play with. It is important. Okay. I have an account that I play with. I have an account that I allocate purely to education. I have an account that obviously my investment accounts and I've got my obviously things like emergency funds. Uh, I call it my cash fund. Yeah. So yeah, it's important. And, and I t- obviously I we teach these things as going forward. We have maybe a, another podcast. Yeah, I'll say it'll definitely be great to get into much more than and some stuff you're talking about comes down to effective budgeting and beyond as well. So it'd be great to go into a bit more detail about that. Just going back to uh, one of the second things you mentioned around what, you know, what the hood didn't teach us about finance. And that was, you know, you was in a household um, and some of your parents experienced the same thing where the mentality was safe, safe, safe. Yeah. Right now, when you think of today, um, what you, you should have done, because there's nothing wrong in saving, no, yeah, but yeah. do you want to sort of just elaborate a bit yeah. more on that, you know, why do we need to save uh what next um and you know is there a particular percentage that we should be saving yeah if you just want to open yeah. a bit more particularly for listeners that might just be new or haven't really prioritized um saving at yeah. all no saving is extremely important and it does depend on where you stand um so you know the way i teach people is you could be starting off in debt so what you need to be doing is creating an income source and reducing your expenses so that you have residual income, which you save and use towards paying off your debt. Mm. Um, that's one example. Um, the, the truth is most personal finance gurus or anyone in that space will tell you you should be saving at least um, 10% of your money that you make from, from, let's say, your primary source of income, which is employment for most people. Um, and then what you probably should do is save up what we call an emergency fund. Mm. Um, some people call it an emergency fund. Some people call it, um, some people that are superstitious call it contingency fund and not an emergency because mm. you don't want emergencies. <laughs> so we call Teddy. it a contingency fund. <laughs> What's uh, an emergency? Yeah. So an emergency could be something that obviously you, d- you didn't expect to happen. Mm. Um, let's say your car breaks down or well, you should have cover anyway. But let's mm. say, I don't know, something random happens um, and you've got to pay for it very very quickly within within a day straight away um you need to have something that's liquid liquid means you can access the cash straight away to pay for that um and i said and essentially people say um you should save three to six months worth of your expenses as as an emergency fund um an emergency the best probably the best example of an emergency is um you losing your job which is very 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 you know common yeah. People, people may be made redundant or you know being whatever happens happens right um you should have a buffer something rainy day money something saved up so that you can last at least three months you know or two, up to six months in order to you know maybe find another job mm. um, so that's that, that's what they say yeah and i think on, on that you know i always say you know in, in life we're gonna have different seasons mm. 
uh, just like the weather. There's yeah. going to be sunny times. There's going to be winter. There's going to be rainy. Yeah, it's going it's, it's to happen. <laughs> we don't like winter, but it's coming whether we yeah. like it or not. Yeah. And, you know, when it does rain, you know, that emergency fund is you taking out your umbrella. Yes. Because you're preparing. You know it's good. Whether you like it or not, we're going to have rainy times in our lives. Not just finance, but just in our lives, yeah. definitely. Yeah. It's about how you're protecting yourself yeah. for that time when it does come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just staying on the savings um, element, you know, we spoke about having an emergency fund. And that's a lot of people ask me, well, Jax, you know, how big should my emergency fund be? Um, and most people say three months up to six months. I say, well, try and do whatever you feel comfortable with. Mm. Um, but anything above a year's worth of your expenses, then what happens is something called opportunity cost kicks in. Mm. Um, because then, because remember, an emergency fund is money saved up in a very low risk um no interest bearing kind of cash account that doesn't really earn anything what then happens is if you keep saving then you know you're losing out on opportunities to mm. make more money with the money that you're saving so you know anything above a year's worth of expenses becomes a bit too much then you want to put your money to work um, then you want your money to obviously work harder for you so then you probably need to start investing okay so um yeah and, and why that's even more important especially in this um economic climate that we're, we're in right now um january what, 2020 um interest rates as we have said earlier interest rates are really low mm. um and inflation is above interest the interest rates so you know you're actually losing value um and also at the time of making this video i mean this this podcast sorry the stock market has been flying for so long. <laughs> flying. Absolutely flying. So <laughs> They're um, definitely going to talk much more than that. So listeners, do yeah, make, yeah, do stay tuned because um, there's going to be lots of talk about stock market as well as different other um, asset classes so yeah. to speak about um, later on in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, for the, the past 10 years, uh, the stock market has done really, really well. If you invested um, 10 years ago and, you know, you just kept your money in there, um, if you set up a, for your dividends to be re reinvested, your money could have easily quadrupled by now. Mm. So you can imagine someone who at that stage decided to just keep saving and not investing. They've lost out on God knows how much percent that is, 500% return. Hmm. Um, well, even more if you looked at the tech world. You know, Netflix has done four, so 4,000%, I yeah. think I saw. So yeah, you need to be mindful of the opportunity cost of, you know, just saving. Um, especially you know in the uk obviously interest rates are low just like in the us as well but in fact did you know that places in europe and i think japan as well have negative interest rates which means you you, you have to pay the bank money <laughs> for, for them to keep your money in them mm. in, in, with them so yeah fantastic yeah. so anything you know three to six months emergency fund it's fairly reasonable but as you said do what sort of works for you but anything be, uh, you know past yeah, a year's yeah. expenses it almost becomes idle money so yes. you need to make sure that it's actually working for you yeah. and i know the book the richest uh, man in uh, babylon talks a lot about getting your money to work, work for you, you. Yeah. and when they become workers and then they work yeah, yeah, just, just creates a cycle yeah. um of your money uh working for you which is fantastic and one of the other things uh, you also mentioned um you know, with the emergency fund, ensuring that um, where it's saved, um, it's fairly liquid. Do you just want to talk a bit about what you actually mean by that for listeners yeah. that don't really know what that means? Yeah, liquidity is all about just how quickly you can withdraw your cash or especially in the investment management world, when we talk about liquidity of an asset is how quickly can you turn that asset into cash? So, for example, uh, property is an illiquid asset mm. because it takes long for you to sell 
um, a property whereas for example stocks are quite liquid with most stocks um, you can kind of cash out um, and in three days time you have a cash so that's what I mean by liquidity um, the most liquid asset class is just cash so just keeping it in a, in a bank account mm. um, so you want to keep it in a bank account that's easily accessible for because essentially it's there for an emergency when an emergency does kick in you don't yeah. want to be relying on an illiquid asset you, for example let's say you lose your your job today and you you have a lot of you know high net worth but your high net worth is in property then you know it doesn't really help you because you need cash now you know so you should have something uh, available to kind of use as a resource mm. yeah. perfect and uh finally on 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 that point of around you know in some of our uh, households they'll tell us say 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 and also buy a house which is not a bad thing that's a great yeah, thing and yeah. um, do you want to touch a bit more about that on you know w w what's an alternative way because you said to go and buy a house and that's sort of pretty much it w what else w with everything that you know now what else would you sort of be doing differently yeah so uh, m many people you know follow the kind of the the route of you know, if you finish university, get a job, and sooner than later, you, you buy a house, and that's almost an achievement. And in fact, you know, there's something I'm really, really um, passionate about is getting people to actually understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. Unfortunately, in my very humble opinion, I think a lot of people now, especially within our community, are purchasing houses. Um, and it may sound good, but they might be doing it for the wrong reasons. And they might be doing it um for the same reasons why we used to buy nice cars which mm. is you know um to have that kind of status symbol which is which is something i'm really kind of scared of um, i'm trying to help people to change their mindset now there's nothing wrong with buying a house mm. you know some people say it's obviously much better to buy a house than the renting mm. well whether that's true or not is down to you as an individual um and it comes down to opportunity cost right so i'll give an example using myself um a few years ago about three four years ago i had saved up a deposit to buy a house and i was doing it to buy the house because i was following the, the specific route right mm. um and then you know i did everything i had a mortgage in, a, in principle all that kind of stuff i was ready to buy the house i had found the house and everything but then i sat down and i said to myself well jacks okay it's taking you what five years to save up this deposit and you're about to put it in a house mm. um what then because so you buy the house, you pay for, you know, pay the stamp duty. At that time, stamp duty, you still had to pay for it. Yeah. So you pay the stamp duty. Um, you know, you'd have to buy a new sofa, a fridge, all that kind of stuff. Then what? Then all that money you've saved up is locked up in this house. You know, well, what about business? Mm. You know, what, what then do you use for business? Or what about the stock market? You know, stock market is providing so many opportunities right now. What money are you going to use for that? Um, and what's the main benefit of of actually buying this house you know what is it really actually sitting down and actually analyzing it made me think now nah, i'm not going to do this um last minute i pulled out <laughs> probably not the best yeah. for the person selling the house but last minute i pulled out um because i realized it didn't make sense to what i was really trying to achieve as a person which is multiple streams of income and then what i did do is i redeployed that cash into the investments stocks and shares so i started investing in stocks and shares and generating capital appreciation and some dividend income from the stocks and shares world um and now I'm, I'm still continuing to save but my mindset when it comes to buying a house is totally different it's not to you know have something that is just a tick box exercise mm -hmm. so you know I've, I've bought a house hey look at me i've bought a house below the age of 30 
it mm. sounds good and and if you pay attention a lot of people are actually doing this and you know and it makes me question why they're doing it you know mm. why is it so important to let people know that you bought a house at a certain age mm. why is that important and it comes back to that status symbol thing um so yeah i just want people to be aware of why they do certain things it comes back to you know awareness mm. you know why are you buying that house um what is the opportunity cost of buying that house having that opportunity cost mindset really helps whenever you make a decision what is the next best alternative that you could have done with that money that you could have done and that will help you make better decisions financially mm. so for me do i regret buying a, not buying a house absolutely not i'm overjoyed <laughs> that i didn't buy the house um, yeah especially because house prices are extremely expensive right now mm. um, of course if you are someone who let's say has a family um, you've just been, you just got married um, and you want to have a home mm. I think that's an amazing thing to do to actually buy the house as a home mm. but don't call it an investment mm. at least for not for now right um, Rich Dad Poor Dad talks about assets being something that puts money into your pocket mm. and liabilities being something that takes money out of your pocket in this circumstance buying a house and getting a mortgage the term mortgage comes from mortal which is life <laughs> so having that debt for almost life yeah you can't really call that a, 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 an asset for now anyway yeah um obviously when it matures and or when you've finished paying it off yeah uh, and at some point you could do things that you know take out equity and that kind of stuff is good um but don't call it an asset for now um understand what you're buying is a home it's an asset for your family and it can help you with generational wealth Mm. But in the short term, medium term, you could have probably done something better with your money if you wanted to invest, basically. Hmm. 